You may recall past visits where we discussed moving beyond winning. As you've just heard, understanding context is also a strong component of harmony within the church. But now it's time for the action steps. Once again, here's George. So now let's begin to look more deeply into reconciliation. I've given a quick overview of the two positions on women in leadership, priesthood, pastorate, teaching, in order to begin to suggest a model for reconciliation. And to be honest, I've given short shrift to each of these arguments on both sides. Those who advocate each of these positions have volumes of closely argued concepts supported by volumes of scriptural references, countless hypotheses, syllogisms, deductions, and inductions, and deep studies of the underlying languages and church traditions. We would be at it for months if we were to try and fully explain or defend each position and not a step closer to reconciliation or unity. It isn't about agreeing on concepts. So, how do we get closer to reconciliation? By these intentional steps, there are four. Confess and stop. Tolerate. Protect. Fall in love. I'll spell out specifically what each of these mean and give practical examples. Step one, confess and stop. Remember the woman caught in adultery who is about to be stoned according to the law of Moses? Jesus intervened and said to the mob that was about to kill her, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. We all see the unloving words and behavior of others on issues of doctrine, polity, interpretation of scripture, on religious concepts. Religious people are pretty mean and spiteful out there, from nasty personal attacks to sarcastic belittlements to physical violence and even murder. Over the centuries and even in our own day, But how about our own words and actions, yours and mine? Is any one of us without sin in this area? If so, throw stones. If not, don't melt away in silence like this woman's accusers did. Confess it and be forgiven. And then be intentional to go and sin no more in this way. You know that gossip and personal attack, division and disunity are not what Scripture commends, not what Jesus prayed for. So stop doing it. Step two, tolerate other views. Perhaps you've heard of the Edicts of Toleration. There were many of these issued over the course of the centuries, The first one, related to Christians, in A.D. 311, officially ended the persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. After the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, numerous rulers and countries issued similar edicts to end the persecution of various sects, including Unitarians, 
Lutherans, Jews, and Roman Catholics, and stretching from Rome to Bohemia to England to Hawaii to China. The need was there because the dominant religious group in a given area often persecuted others not of their particular brand of Christian church or not the national religion, as in China, Spain, and so on. Historically, persecution ranged from not being allowed to own property or hold office to being horribly burned to death atop a pile of dried sticks. Clashes among Protestants and Roman Catholics still rage today, as well as among native religions, Hindus, Muslims, Christians, and Jews, and among rival sects within each of those faiths. Many of these clashes still result in jail or murder for holding the wrong beliefs, or for refusal to convert to the dominant religion, or for proselytizing to convert someone from the dominant religion to another one. Even in countries where edicts of toleration were issued, they were often overturned as quickly as a new ruler or government came into power and persecution resumed. Such persecution is a direct and profound violation of the commandments to love God, neighbor, and even enemy. It cannot be justified by a Christian. It is sin. We must, at a minimum, tolerate the Christian faith of others who do not agree with us, as well as non-Christian faiths. This is not to say we should be silent or fail to wrestle over issues where we differ, but how we go about this is of paramount importance to God, and so far we have done it horribly. Tolerate others. Step three, protect the other, the one with whom you disagree. This is a step beyond tolerance, which itself is usually grudging at best and leaves intact a condescension toward and fear of people with views other than your own. But protect the one with whom you disagree? This is a new idea for most of us. We tend to imagine our role as both advancing our concepts on the field of battle and defending them against the assaults of those with other concepts. We promote and defend ourselves. You promote and defend yourselves. Yet, this aggressive, defensive behavior further hardens our conceptual fortresses and darkens the windows to any light that might be given by others. It provides no way or willingness to foster self-criticism nor seriously ponder criticism from without. The whole world is inside our own concept fortress. Nothing exists outside except danger. Instead, let's consider this new idea of protecting each other. You protect me. I protect you. We protect each other. Even though we disagree, 
even on important issues, we safeguard each other, respect and pray for each other. We intentionally love each other, which means to act for each other's blessing, safety, and well-being. We do what the despised Samaritan did for the wounded Jew he despised. He guarded his life, tenderly cared for him, paid for his shelter and time to heal, followed up to make sure he was recovering. Their doctrines were very different. Neither saw the other as worshiping God rightly, but the Samaritan fully protected the Jew and brought him healing and safety. Does this ring a bell? Meiderlin said we would be in the best shape if we kept in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in both charity. This is more than just be nice. Charity is to act for each other's blessing and well-being. It is from Scripture. It is the King James Bible rendition of the word now usually translated love. It is agape in the Greek. It means to act for someone's blessing, safety, and well-being. Feelings of love may follow, but the word agape is about caring for others, acting, doing. It is the word Jesus used while telling us to love God and to love our neighbors and to love even our enemies and pray for them. It is what Peter tells us when he says in 1 Peter 4.8, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. It is the action James is describing in James 2.24 when he tells us, So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. It is the word Paul uses in Romans 13.10. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And also when he says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Those are our guidelines, our chart, our course in learning to protect each other. But it isn't a new idea at all. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which Jesus uses to illustrate who our neighbor is. The one despised helps the one he despises. It's what Jesus told us to do and what is stressed again and again in Scripture. It is how love is made manifest. You protect me I protect you. We protect each other. Love and protect each other. We'll get back to this when we gather together again next time. Thank you, George. Well, if you were to draw a line with winning at one end, love and protect the one with whom you disagree would certainly be at the other end. A challenge to us all. That wraps up this edition of What We Believe and Why. If you'd like to get your own copy of the book, you can do so at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. Thank you, George, and we hope you will join us next time.